It came to pass after these things, chapter 40, verse 1, that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord. And the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, in the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream, in one night, each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in that morning, looked at them, and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me, tell me to them, please. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph, and he said to him, Behold, in my dream, a vine was before me, and the vine were three branches. It was though it was budded, its blossom shot forth, and its clusters brought forth grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them in Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner which you were his butler, when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you, and please show me kindness. Make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house, for indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me in this dungeon. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in a dream, my dream. And there were three white baskets on my head. In the uttermost baskets were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all of his servants. He lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants, Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. There are a few things that stand out to us in this chapter. I draw your attention to verse 7, where, excuse me, verse 5, where it says that they had a dream, both of them, each man's dream, in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. This just shows you how personal God is, right, in his universe. I was looking at a photo of outer space yesterday and just reminded just billions of stars and billions of galaxies, and yet this planet is the center of the universe. Make no mistake about it. This is where man created in God's image was put. This is where God sent his son to die for the sins of humanity. This is where all the prophecies were promised. This is where they're fulfilled through the life and ministry, death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're the center of the universe. Jesus himself said that God knows the hairs on our head and not one sparrow falls to the ground and he's not knowing of it. God knows every detail in his universe. He's all present, all knowing, all powerful. And on this day, Joseph, who's a key, because through the promises made to Abraham that the Messiah would come to the world through Abraham, Then the son of promise was Isaac, Abraham's son, who is Joseph's grandfather. Then Isaac had Jacob, whose God changed his name to Israel. Israel had his 12 sons, of which Joseph is the beloved son, who was the 17-year-old that was faithful to the Lord and his father before he was sold off into slavery. 
This is that Joseph in the prison. And here on this day, in this world where Joseph might have thought, were my dreams really of the Lord, the dreams that he had, where his brothers bowed down to him and even his father bowed down to him, that we read about back in chapter 37. Here on this day, in this unusual circumstance, these two men have the dreams on the same night. God is personal. Like They both had dreams on the same night. And they were different dreams. Now, we see in the Bible that God speaks in dreams many times. We also know in the last days, God will speak through visions and dreams as well. He prophesied that through the prophet Joel, reaffirmed in the book of Acts and Acts chapter 2 through Peter the Apostle. There's something about dreams that kind of put us in that neutral zone between dimensions because we're in time, space, and matter consciously like we are right now. It's time, it's space, and we're matter. And this is our three-dimensional universe that we're functioning in, in a linear timeline. But God is outside of this in another dimension, in a spiritual dimension, working in and through us. Who knows what great things he did for us today that we don't even know. There might have been personal things he did for you today that you know it was the hand of the Lord. And you go, wow, it's the Lord, and you're so blessed by that. And if you're tuned in, you usually see those things anyways. But how much do we not see him doing? And yet we know he is incredibly personal with each and every one of us. And we're the church. We're gathered tonight. And if you've given your life to Christ, we're his people. And if you haven't, he's drawn you to himself this night. But he's personal. And he, he is in details, little teeny details, like a coin in the mouth of a fish for Peter when he needs to pay the temple tax. And I think it's very interesting that these two men both have dreams on the same night, and Joseph started to interpret them. He gives God the glory. God interprets dreams, but the dreams are completely different, right? Which also reminds us that not only is God personal, but he's distinct. And it's, to me, it's fascinating that the butler has a favorable dream where he can, he's going to be restored this butler's life, might, his whole purpose, he's an Egyptian, he rose up in prominence, who knew, what, like when he was growing up as a kid, he rose in prominence, becomes like a key butler in the most, to the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh. He's thrown in the dungeon, but through that process, he's going to be used to bring Joseph to the attention of Pharaoh for the purposes that God has for Joseph. It's the butler, favorable interpretation, threes and threes. He had the threes that were for restoration, the baker, the threes for execution. And you think about Joseph like, hey, I've got good news for you and bad news for you. But that's, that's how life is sometimes. We're, we're, we're kind of soft in our culture, this generation. The baby boomers, the younger baby boomers are a little bit soft. We didn't have to do Vietnam. We, you know, the, the Gen Xers didn't have to really do anything. There was no conscription for you. The millennials, it's been a safe, smooth ride. We're, you know... It's just your journey where it's at. But you go back to like when my mom was alive in the 30s. My dad was alive and born in 30. My mom, 30, 36. You just, it's such a different world. You go back to World War I, World War II, and even before that. Life was hard. And bad things happen to good people, and sometimes good things happen to bad people, but like, this whole distraction with everything that distracts everybody and everything, it didn't exist. And like when someone rolled into your town in Europe and wanted to roll your village, they'd roll your village. And if they're going to hang people, they're going to hang them. If they wanted to have you be collaborators and make spies out of you to betray your people, they would do that. Like it's hard for us to, like if you really think about this text, 
I mean, put yourself there. Like, this is not like working at Starbucks serving up lattes. One man's interpretation is he's restored to incredible power. And the other one's like, dude, you're going to die in three days. Like, it's hard to say that to somebody. Like, Joseph had to say, I have interpretation. You're going to die in three days. And, and if you've got three days to prepare yourself to die and you're an Egyptian, I don't know what you think, but within four days, everyone, well, the, certainly the butler knew that Joseph is a prophet and has the ability to discern dreams. The distinction. What, why does God make a distinction that one person is restored and one person gets hanged? I don't know. I don't know, and neither do you. Just make sure that your heart is leaning in the direction of the person that finds the favor of the Lord as opposed to the person who finds disfavor of the Lord. And if you're faithfully serving the Lord like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the Nazis drag you outside and they hang you, just make sure you're hanging there with Jesus and that Jesus on the cross is hanging with you when you're hanging from a Nazi noose. Because why does one person be healed from cancer and another dies to cancer? Who is sufficient for these things? Why is one interpretation favorable and there seem disfavorable? God alone knows. As I say, that God be true and every man a liar. But the key is, is that we know he's personal in our life. And he does care about the hairs on our head. And nothing is random or dumb luck for us when we're living for the king. So now we get back to Joseph in the palace. So the butler gets restored, but he doesn't say anything. He doesn't, he doesn't say like, he doesn't, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Let's think about this for just a second, too. Is God not able to remind the chief butler that that guy in the prison interpreted your dream? I mean, as you get a little bit older, like me, you ask the Lord to help you remember things. And if I can't write it in my phone really quick or write it down, like I have the day planner, like I'm always, like I'm praying. I got to have something next to me when I'm praying because I think of all these things when I'm praying, and maybe you can relate to that. But there's things I forget, like, oh, Doggone it all. You know, like, what, what, what? The thought comes, you're like, it goes to thought heaven. It's like, where'd it go, right? And, and like, Lord, help me to remember. And he'll do it. His arm's not shortened that he can't do it. So the butler not remembering, it's not, to me, it's very profound that he didn't remember. How do you not remember the guy that interpreted your dream that got you back to holding the cup? Like, you'd be holding the cup going like, wow, that dude in the prison said exactly this, and this came to pass. Hey, Pharaoh, but he didn't do that. So you might put forth the case that maybe even a stupor from the Lord came upon him not to remember. Not to remember. Because God's timing is always right on time. And if Joseph's supposed to be in the palace at this point, it's two years prior to when he's going to get to the palace. It's just not the right timing. Joseph's in the dungeon like, remember me, remember me. Like I've, I, It's like when you're, you think you have the education you need or you're ready for the next step. And you're like, I'm ready for this. Like, I'm ready to get out of the dungeon. No. The, the experience that the Lord's doing in your life is not marinated yet. You're not completely ready for what is coming next. Again, Joseph's going to be the second most powerful person in the world. And he's not quite ready for that yet. He looks good. The scout film on Joseph looks really good. But it's just not God's timing. So if someone forgets about you and what you did at work, or someone forgets about you and what you did for the family, or someone forgets about you and what you did for the community, or what you did for that, don't worry about it. 
if it's meant to be something favorable for God's plan and purpose of your life, he's bigger than the butler in Pharaoh's house. He raises the dead. We're trusting Jesus to raise us from the grave and transform our body from glory to glory. He's bigger than the butler forgetting about you in Pharaoh's palace. So it's really not about the the butler forgetting. It's more about God's timing being perfect. Amen? Yeah, don't forget that. Because I just feel like, man, they forgot about me. And if they hadn't done this, I'd be here or there or wherever. That's not the case. God's bigger than the butler in Pharaoh's court. Chapter 41, we read on. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by, by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine looking and fat. And they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time. Suddenly seven heads of grain came up. One stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh and said, Ah, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted, interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. And then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved and changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream. There is no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said that you can understand dreams to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river, and suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt. Such ugliness I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt, ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they'd eaten them up, no one would have known they'd just eaten them, for they were just as ugly as the beginning. So I awoke, also in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up of one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered and thin and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Well, we talked, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. But in one day, Joseph went from the prison to the palace. And he goes from obscurity to prominence. It just seems like it's dumb luck. It's like you went into 7-Eleven, you bought the lottery ticket, man, and you got the mega payoff. But that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. We know long before he went from the prison to the palace in one day, he was a faithful 17-year-old, a senior in high school, faithfully serving the Lord under his father in the entrusted stewardship with the code of distinction for the responsibilities he had. His brothers threw him in a pit, and he cried out in that pit. And the only one that answered him in that pit was the Lord himself. Then he ended up in Pharaoh's house, where he is falsely accused of attempted rape 
and he has served years in prison for a crime he did not commit. In fact, in not committing the crime, he proved his character and integrity beyond what most men are ever capable of showing in this life experience. That is an incredible injustice from Pharaoh's, excuse me, from Potiphar's house. There in the prison, he was faithful day after day, so faithful the prison guard let him do everything and run everything in the prison. These guys come in, the baker and the butler, what's it say that he did? He served them. The greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And of course, Joseph is a type of Jesus. You find no fault with Joseph in his lifeline. And the more chapters you get on somebody in the Bible, the more likely you'll see their sin and their faults. He's got a lot of chapters and he's squeaky clean. He's above reproach. Betrayed by his brothers and revealed to his brothers like Jesus is betrayed by Israel, but would be revealed to Israel and accepted by them at his second coming. A lot of types fulfilled. But the prison to the palace, while it's a location change by maybe a couple hundred yards, it's an appearance change by a really good bath and shave and all that stuff, a garment change, what never changed was the character of the man. If he's the lowest guy on the totem pole, he's going to be faithful in his job. If he's the boss at the top of the totem pole, he's going to be faithful with his job. He's going to treat people with respect when he's the last guy hired. And he's going to treat people with respect when he's the one that hires and fires everybody. God gave him his heart in this journey. And who even knows what God really taught him there in the prison and what he went through in the prison and prison life? It's one thing to go to prison and be in the culture of prison and know that you deserved it. It's quite another to go to prison and have been completely innocent all along. I just just can't imagine of all the things that would really rock your world is if you were innocent and you did serious time for a very serious felony, for a very serious felony that you never committed. Of all the injustices you could have, that's got to just be so high on the list of injustices. Because people can take money from you, but if they take your freedom from you, that's a whole other thing. It's pretty crazy to think what Joseph went through. But he was ready. Because in that prison experience, he got better, not bitter. And we always say, bloom where you're planted. And no matter where you planted Joseph... He bloomed, he bloomed, he bloomed, and he was fruitful wherever he went. We'll come back to that before the night's done. So there he was. It seems like, wow, dude, you won the lottery. Not really. Most people that win the lottery lose all the money they make, and there's lots of people who take it from them. It's in the journey to attain wealth that you learn how to manage wealth. And so too it is with great spiritual wealth and great spiritual stewardship. It's in the journey of the character like David, like Moses, like Joshua, like Caleb and others. Who knows what Deborah's story is? Who knows what Mary went through to be willing to be the mother of the Lord as a virgin and take that scorn? Like, we just don't even know. But it's in that journey where the character is being developed that prepares us for the destination. And there are no shortcuts. It's kind of like the old caterpillar. You can't bust him out of that cocoon. That caterpillar's got to go through the struggle in the cocoon. Then it can fly. If you change that, it doesn't work. 
the struggle of the journey is what prepares us for the purpose, the ultimate purpose of the destination. And that's the journey of life for eternity and all that God has for us in eternity. But it's also for the experiences of time, space, and matter that God has for us in this journey. We can never change yesterday, but we can embrace what he has for today and we can redeem the time. Because so often maybe you feel like, I feel like, did I miss something? Have we missed something? You, you want to be a better version of you for the planet in Jesus' name, but you're not, you, you don't go back and you can't go back and like, okay, let's do marriage again when we're in our 20s and do little kids again and watch them grow up again and I'll redo this and redo that. And you just, it's, it's done. They're adults. So my point on this is, if we miss things up until this day, well, we can, we're still alive. And we can purpose not to miss the things of tomorrow and this day, this day and tomorrow. Because so often God works an entire lifetime to use someone in a great way for just a really brief season that's amazing. And what's more amazing than just being faithful and all in with the Lord for when the day of the Lord comes? Servant of all is numero uno in the kingdom of the Lord. And that's obtainable for every one of us in this room to walk in purity, to walk in forgiveness, to serve others, and to let injustices work together for good to produce character in our life. That's obtainable for all of us. Joseph was refined in the prison, and when he got to the palace, he, he just, it's great to be here, but it didn't, it didn't make him any more a man of God than he was that morning when he woke up in the prison. He's just changing locations. You think, oh, it's a vertical movement in his career. Actually, it's a horizontal movement in his character. Because the same person that went to bed that night, freshly shaven, new clothes, as the one that woke up with whatever he was that morning when he woke up in the prison. His bed might have been softer. His environment might have been nicer. But he was the same person. It's the character and the integrity of what God's doing in us in all these experiences that matters. And that's the equity. And did this guy have equity? Think how much equity Joseph had when he walked in the room. Like, he tilted the room. But not like, hey, I'm here. Just like, he just walked in the room. He's like, oh, this, this dude's got like, what is it? Like, he just, you know, he filled the room. He tipped the room. Those women that tipped the room. Certain women walk in the room. Their, their presence, the equity of the Lord in their life is very powerful. And you're like, wow. And they speak. It's like, wow. It's that way with men. And Joseph was one of those guys. From the prison to the palace was embracing the work of the Spirit for the character in his life. But someone's got to interpret this dream. The last verse we saw there in verse 24 is, no one could explain it to me. See, when you're in the prison, you're set apart with the character, and there's only one person on the planet that can explain this dream this day, and it's Joseph. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of plenty will come throughout the land of Egypt, but after them seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will will deplete the land. 
So the plenty will not be known in the land because the famine falling will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. This is big time stuff here, the interpretation of these dreams and to speak to the most powerful man in the world and have the interpretation. But his faith is in God and he knows the dream is from God. The timing of dreams. Joseph's dreams were meant to happen at 17 when he's a senior in high school. The dreams of the butler and the baker were meant to happen when they were in prison. And the dreams of Pharaoh were meant to happen when they happened. Everything in God's timing and his order, he gives Joseph the dream, which really, as we said before, is the extension of the vision Abraham had decades prior. It's an extension. And now he's got the interpretation. And in this universe of physical laws working and moving, where, you know, the sun's here, the moon's here doing this, and it was close the other night, right? And your broom stands up without assistance, all this crazy stuff going on this week, if you saw that. It's just like, there's, like, you know, all these things are happening, gravity, all these things working, super moon, blah, 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 and this and that. But the Lord has established things. And as he's established physical things, there are spiritual things established in every generation. And in every generation, since the resurrection of Christ, and even prior to that, working through people of faith in the old covenants. God is working and people are crying out to the Lord and there are things established by the Lord. Who knows what is in, you know, you look at events on the planet right now and who knows what is working. It's so much bigger. It's not a chessboard. It's, it's much bigger than a chessboard. And the Lord is just moving things and they're going in a certain way where he's redeeming people and he's letting humanity go in the direction it's going to go before Christ comes back for his church and then with his church. The thing is established. All the promises concerning Christ and what he does in a person's life, they are established. All the things promised concerning Christ, what he'll do in this universe to establish his kingdom, they are established. And while this famine might have been coming soon, we don't know what's coming our way soon, but know this, there are things in our generation and in your life that are established that affect all of us on this planet and affect you personally in your role, my role on this planet for such a time as this. I ask myself, what is established that God is doing in his universal church, in his universe, that he wants us, me, together, the Calvary movement, the body of Christ, to be a part of? What is he going to shortly bring to pass that affects us all in our generation as we share the planet? What will he shortly bring to pass that is opportunity for the gospel to reach people in our country, to reach people in other countries? What is he doing? And how can we prepare for that? What is he doing in your life that's established that he wants to do in your life and your children's lives? These are good questions to ask ourselves. In this case, look at these words in the previous verses. Famine, forgotten, and depleted. I don't like those things being established, do you? I'm not a big fan of famine, forgotten, and depleted. I don't think any of us are. But if you haven't caught it so far, every one of the patriarchs has been tested by famine. Abraham had famine. Isaac had famine. Jacob had famine. And now Joseph is facing famine, a famine greater than the famine that his forefathers faced. And he is there in this very purpose at this very time, in this very place, because he is God's man to not only preserve his family through the famine, but the nation of Egypt and other people of humanity. It's a big calling, and he's there to fulfill it. It's going to come to pass. There are things God's going to do that are going to come to pass 
in the next 20 years before I get to 80 that he's going to do whether I'm a part of it or not and apply this to your life. There's things he's going to do between now and 2041 that he's going to do. There are things going to play out. There's going to be, if he delays us coming, there's going to be different precedents. Who knows? We might have new political parties for all we know. The globalists might win. We might have a global government. They certainly want one. We don't know. But we know who's on the throne of our hearts and we know who's on the throne of the universe and we know who's on the throne who's the king of his church. There are things that are going to come to pass in 2020, profound things that are established that the Lord is going to work through. And the more our hearts are yoked to him and to his spirit, the more likely we'll fulfill our role, our piece of the puzzle in our timeline. I think about things when I study history, like, what, like who was serving the Lord? Like I've been reading War and Peace for like four months. It's actually like 15 books, not just one, but, and just going through it and thinking about Napoleonic Wars and, and like people that went to church and people that, you know, to the Russian church that loved the Lord and the priest and like, you know, they, they, they dedicated babies. They, they buried people. They did weddings and their villages were overrun by the French who were yoked with the Austrians and Germans. And it just, it's a mad, mad world. It's always been that way. But there's people that love the Lord in every generation. We want to be those people. But who knows what's going to come. But I don't lose sleep over it. Don't lose sleep over tomorrow. Please, Jesus said not to. Sufficient is what you're thinking about today. Sufficient for things for today. But there are things we can never lose sight that God is the master of the universe. And if he's master of our lives and Lord of our lives, it's going to work out. But we want to play our part and fulfill our part because he's appointed when we live, like Paul said to the Athenians, that he's appointed our times and boundaries and seasons. It's going to come to pass. Verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerner. So you have the dream and the interpretation. Now we have the application. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, set him over the land of Egypt, let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh. And let them keep the food in the cities. Then the food shall be a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, what shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So here's the application. Joseph not only interprets a dream, but he has application. Of course, this application impresses Pharaoh. We see that in the next few verses. But I just think, like, he had the business plan. Let's think this through. Like, he interprets the dream. He's like, hey, I got the business plan. Here's your dream. You tell me the dream. Here's your interpretation. Here's the application. I got the business plan. What did he learn running the prison? What did he learn in Potiphar's house? What did he learn while working with his brothers, taking care of his dad's sheep? In that journey, when he's there to present his resume without invitation, to present his resume to the most powerful person on the planet, he just lays out in a few simple verses, few simple sentences, like we say, less is more. <laughs> it's not a massive resume. It's like, hey, you had a dream. God gives interpretation. I interpret it. You got seven and seven. Here's what you should do. He's got the business plan right there. 
I love it. It's less is more. It's a very simple business plan, isn't it? They're not consulting all these business people, hiring outside sources to do random surveys and straw polls. Like, no, listen, this is a real deal. There's going to be a lot of food for seven years. There's going to be no food for seven years. Here's what you want to do, one-fifth. So he went double the tithe. It's interesting because Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. That's the first mention of a tithe. Father Abraham, Melchizedek, after the slaughter of Chedorlaomer and the kings from the north. Then Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, Joseph's dad, when he's fleeing from brother Esau early on, he has the dream, Jacob's ladder, and he says to the Lord, wow, if you're really with me, I'll give you a tithe. Like, that's his flashpoint of faith. Like, okay, grandfather Abraham gave you a tithe, I'll give you a tithe. Joseph says, hey, we should save 20%. So something in numerology or numbers here, Joseph just comes up with a simple thing like, hey, Seven years, I mean, how do you come up with the mathematical equation, seven and seven, and then 20%? I don't know, but it certainly was a successful model. How did he get there? Is it not the result of being ready for this day? The moment didn't define him like a deer stuck in the headlights, but he was ready for this moment in faith and spirit and confidence in the Lord. He was ready for this moment. He was ready to stand before the most powerful man in the world and say, dreams come from God. And God will give the interpretation. He knew his moment. This is his moment. He was born for this moment. He, no, one, no one can tell me this dream. He's the only man that can tell the dream. I, he is God's man for this day. You are God's woman for that day. You are God's man for that day. And he has been prepared for this day and he has the business plan. The dream, the interpretation, the application. And Pharaoh, he's powerful, right? I mean, he's more powerful than Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like blown away. You know, it's funny, like Pharaoh, who's technically a god in their world, he knows someone that knows real God. Pharaoh identifies a spiritual man. I talked about this. His brother sold him for 20 pieces of silver. The greatest employee ever, arguably in human history. Joseph. And they sold him into human trafficking for 20 pieces of silver. Pharaoh controls everything, and he gives Joseph everything. He knows a good manager when he finds one. He's not just managing the shoe department. He's going to manage the whole empire. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, verse 37, and in the eyes of his servants. So Pharaoh's whole court, the whole board of directors is like, if you know business, Pharaoh's like the CEO. There's a board of directors. Joseph interprets the dream. Pharaoh looks around. Bro, it was good to all of them. And Pharaoh said to his servants, verse 38, can we find such as one as this man in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning as wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, put it on Joseph's hand. He clothed him in the garments of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck, and had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Panath, Pane. And he gave him his wife, Asnath, the daughter of Pati Parai, priest of On. And so Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. 
So here we see he is the most powerful person. He has been prepared spiritually, prepared practically. It's all there. A man can receive nothing. A woman can receive nothing unless it comes from the Lord. He is prepared for this moment. If you're faithful in the little things, God can give you more things. That's what we see. And just a reminder, in the parable of the mind is in Matthew 25, which represents standing before the Lord in a parabolic sense. The one who had five and got ten, and the one who got two and got four had different quantities. But they both doubled their quantities. And in both cases, more was to be given to them in the master's service in the future. But the one who had one and buried it, even what he has, is taken and given to another. And that's where Jesus said, to him who has, more will be given. So what we find is, as we take steps toward faithfulness with what we understand before our life and our eyes and our stewardship this day, as we become more faithful, we have reasonable expectation, not as a means to an end, but just as the nature of how God works, that he will entrust more to us. And again, I look at my sister, who coming back from five years on the streets, being homeless, the drugs and alcohol and all that stuff, Barbie, but as she has... Month after month, been sober, no drugs, rebuilt her life, done her due diligence with the civil law and felony charges, dropped the misdemeanors and expunged from her record. As she's done DUI school for a year and a half, driver's license restored, a a manager, you know, there now at Macy's and just like, just been in the halfway house for two and a half years with 20 women, but she gets a parking spot now because she got a car because she's driving like, you know, like that kind of a thing. And, but as she's been faithful, she was hired as a temp. Remember two years ago, we talked about, I said that one night all those rehab crew was here, about 20 rehab people just back there. Okay. Behind Tom. And they're all there and you can't miss 20 rehab people on a Tuesday night. And I said, do you know how hard it is to get a job when you're a felon? Man, they always like, everyone stood up like, right. You know, like they all knew because my sister was a convicted felon. She couldn't get hired to sweep the floors at SeaWorld. She could not get a job as a recovering drug addict and convicted felon. And then she got that job, temp, Macy's, Christmas three years ago. And she was faithful. And then she got a permanent job. And now she's the manager. And now she gets a discount on stuff and sends little Valentine gifts to Jennifer from the jewelry department, right? You see, faithful in the little things becomes more. And you complete DUI school and you pay your debt to society. And now suddenly you get... You get dad's car, and you're driving. God restores the years that the locusts have eaten, but we have to be faithful. Little Faithful. Joseph was faithful. So the signet ring, God, the most powerful. You, know, you, talk, you see these credit card commercials like the silver card, or we're like, hey, listen, nothing trumps the signet ring of Pharaoh. Like, that's just like, you just, hey, there it is. It just it's 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 endless credit line, and that's <laughs> the way it is. The day before he's running the prison, and now he's running the most powerful country in the world. We read on verse forty-seven. Now the seven plentiful years the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food in the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities, and he laid up in every city the food of the fields that surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph was born before the years of famine came, who Asnath, the daughter of 
Pati, Pariah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all lands. That entire region was in a serious famine. Which brings us to our final thought of application. It says in verse 48 that he gathered and laid up. And he laid up, and then verse 49 says he gathered very much grain, that it was immeasurable. There is something about this story that reminds me of like the book of Proverbs, where there's something to think about here. Just because you have increase doesn't mean you need to spend it. You know, some people just live every month wherever they got. They make a little, they spend it. They make a lot, they spend it. Some people just like that. There's wisdom and frugality and understanding that there might be increase now to cover famine later. And in the Bible, it's very clear, it's much better to be the head than the tail. It's much better to be the lender than the debtor. We understand that. And we know that economies have ebb and flow. And we know sometimes things are thriving and sometimes things are crashing. We understand that. And there's cyclical things that happen with economies. And the Bible itself declares it's very wise to go to the ant and learn that the ant stores up things in the summer for the winter. I just think there's something that's just worth saying here that we want to sow bountifully. We want to be generous people. We talk about that, our time, our energy, our resources. But there is frugality in having foresight and wisdom. Years ago, when I read John Wooden's book on leadership, one of the things that got my attention, of course, he's long gone and with the Lord now, but he talked about saving up for a rainy day. When John Wooden, the great coach at UCLA, was a kid, his parents owned a farm in Indiana, and they lost it. And he said he always learned to save for a rainy day. And we want to be vessels by which we can bless others in good times, and we want to be vessels by which we can bless others in difficult times. And if we're the head... We're the ones that can bless others in a difficult time. If we're the tail, then we have far less options and we're dependent upon others to bless us. Which sometimes we're just that way. That's just the way the Lord makes it, like Elijah with the widow's oil and stuff like that. But if you're in that situation, you want to be because you were foolish with resources. You want to be because that's what God allowed in your life. It is better to be the head than the tail and to be in a place where you can bless and serve others with abundance as opposed to not. And you certainly don't want to depend on governments to provide for you in a difficult day. Because that just, that's a proven plan that doesn't always, it's not sustainable. It's just not. So the, the last thing I say here, if there's something that's very practical, like Proverbs practical, from what Joseph did here, is he recognized that when there's an abundance there, he was wise with it and frugal with it to the benefit of his position at work, the person he worked for, and the consumer base they served. And they actually, his blessings expanded in a famine because he had foresight in the fruitfulness. 
His vision and ministry expanded in a famine. I'm glad as a church we're not month to month because we'd have less options. But we're blessed. We ask for more. God gives more. And we ship it all over to people that have nothing. We're an outreach to our community. And we're an outreach to the world. So it's pretty cool. Like, it's, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be the head so you can bless everyone else as opposed to being the tail and just fold and go out of business. Because God's not poor. He owns the cattle on a, a thousand hills. So thank you for the generosity as a church. And praise the Lord that we're able to make a difference to the world that's not nearly as prosperous as we are. And we, we are like that. But I think it's wise for us financially to avoid debt, to be the head, not the tail, and as much as we can be in front of things and not behind things. And that way, we're just in a better place to be used by the Lord in difficult times. And who knows what difficult times might come our way? Only the Lord knows. And I speak that as a, just a, a practical word from the text. You just read the same text I read. They took advantage of seven good years. And with wisdom, they're prepared to take care of other people in seven bad years. That's what we just read. How that applies to you, that's you and the Lord.